Okay. Rolling. Are we rolling now? Yep. All right. Are you, how do you want? Do you want to like slowly reveal the drops, or can we hit 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 it all at once? What's the? I have to have pancakes right now. <laughs> uh. I want pancakes. <laughs> Those are the only two I've got. That's I a, want pancakes. That's a great splice of yeah. that. That's great. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know how I came across that. Somebody posted on Twitter, but I don't even know. Like, that's one of those, like, basement preachers that's probably preaching to, like, four family members mm-hmm. in an empty room. But I'm always like, how does this stuff get found? You know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad it did. But, um. Well, I mean, sure. Does any, does anything happen to that guy? Because a lot of this stuff comes to light, and then, well, I guess I don't know if they get in trouble or not. But well, that's what I'm saying. This is like one of those basement preacher guys. Like I don't think that he he might not know that anyone's making fun of him, or he doesn't care. Well, and yeah, those and people don't care. At the point, it's like at, at this point, it's it's the brand. Like it's kind of the goal. It, it exactly. seems like the goal of a lot of those people is to just be like as mean and outrageous and extreme as possible right like that one is a horribly misogynist worldview wrapped up in a man screaming about pancakes right i want pancakes but there's another one where like one of these basement preachers is literally just like yeah we should kill gay people shoot him in the back of the head yeah shoot him in the back of the head and you're like yeah what like I don't even care enough to like what happened to him, but nothing happened to him and nothing probably could because everyone listening is probably like nodding along, you know? Right, in complete agreement. Yeah, and he doesn't care. You know what I mean? I know what you mean. All right. Hi, doggy. What are we doing this week? Um, Did I tell you the story of the interview question about Mars? Nope. So... Part of my job, we have to interview. So we're doing these interviews. Mm-hmm. And in the interview, you have to ask like an off-the-wall question. Okay. Something that people can't expect. Okay. So you're on an interview panel, right? Right. One of the requirements is that one person has an off-the-wall question. No, or everybody. But at everybody least, has at to have least one. In the in the interview, you need to ask at least one. At least one. Okay. And there's certain ones that you know you you want to ask. So anyway, it's going around. I can see that I'm going to have to ask like the off-the-wall situational question. Mm-hmm. I'm getting kind of bored with the one that I've been asking. So I quickly like look at some of the prompts that they give us. I see one. I was like, okay, I'm going to. Ask this one. All right. So so they're predetermined. They're, you have not made this up on your yourself. No. Okay. So I ask her this question. Excuse me. I ask this person. Who knows? Right. Who this is? <laughs> uh huh. I could just be making this story up. This could not be about a real person. True. So I ask this person this question, where I'm like. If you were leading the first colony on Mars, what would be your priorities? Mm-hmm. Whatever. And this person, immediate, like the question does what it's supposed to do. It clearly, they're not anticipating. Mm-hmm. And then the whole point is to see like, where does their mind go? How do they process it? They went immediately into like 
a Predator movie on Mars. (laughs) They were like, first, I'd want to know, are there hostile creatures there? Uh And we would definitely focus on a perimeter. Definitely need to be focused on defense. (laughs) And they went in depth. I mean, we're talking not off of this idea. Maybe they're a prepper. Right, that there's these hostile entities that are going to try and and reclaim their Mars land. Mm Mm-hmm. And my initial reaction was to like inter- interrupt and be like, no, this is real Mars. This is not science fiction Mars. Like, we know there's no hostile life forms roaming Mars. Mm-hmm. So, could you answer the question <laughs> in reality and not based yeah. in your like immediate fictional action movie? Right. But then I was like, okay, I was like, all right, let, let's say defense is covered. Now you're just trying to establish your civilization, mm-hmm. society. What priorities would you have? And they immediately were like, so we're sure there's no hostile. F- <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yes, they, they're not like worms. This isn't Dune. Right. This yeah. isn't like... Can you please get off this question? <laughs> and rarely do we have questions where you're like immediate disqualification. Yeah. Really, there there are none. That was as close as I <laughs> ever heard yeah. someone get to where I was like, if you answer that way in any interview after this one, yeah. you are not getting that position, right. that job. At, you need to, whatever your brain did there, <laughs> you need to figure that out and yeah. not have your brain, when you get rattled, to default to like 80s action movie. Right. Yeah. Have I already told you about the uh, that off-the-wall question that they asked me for my interview for the job I'm currently at? I think so. oh, It's been a while. What they asked me if I would commit a, if they asked me to commit a crime, if I would, <laughs> which caught me very off guard. And it's a like really weird question. I still think about it to this day. Now that you mentioned that, that had never crossed my mind. So maybe that is one of those things where it's like, yeah, we're just trying to like get him off his, off his base or whatever. Uh, but uh, up until that moment, I'd still think about that at times where it's like, is that were they like mm. testing the waters or <laughs> the other funny thing is like I didn't think that that question would be like controversial con- controversial yeah but uh, there's another question that it, that can be tricky and it was asked in that interview and they nailed it oh really the tough one they nailed mm-hmm. and the one that I thought would be like yeah layup like on your question that is a little off mm-hmm. uh, off put like it, it'll catch you off guard but the answer is. No. I mean, the, the answer is sure. simple. There's, yeah. There's no other way to get the job and not say, no, I wouldn't. Well, see, my not. answer was basically like, I know so little about this field that you could probably ask me to commit a crime and I wouldn't know what I was doing. See, that's a bad answer, too. <laughs> I got the job, though. Yeah, but at, at that point, you did you have a rapport with them? Like, you, you had to feel kind of comfortable with with them. Probably. I mean, yeah. part of it obviously was that there was, you know, the the Julia connection, right? She was, they were, they knew each other through Apple, right? So, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe there is that familiarity to it, but 
I, I mean, my answer was obviously a lot more involved in that, but the basic, at least the starting point too, was like, I, you uh, probably could, you and could I wouldn't me. know what you're asking me. <laughs> I mean, you know, that is, now that I think about it, that is a really, um, that's a really good answer. Because basically what you're saying is, hey, you might want me on your team. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Make me push that button right. that, like, puts all the funds in this offshore account, and, hey, I'm the one who did it. Right. Yeah. My, that And the way I brought it back around was that, you know, the the whole reason I'm interviewing for this position is because the city is starting to ask me to do stuff uh, surveillance-wise of the workers, right, to use, like, the... Um, Software, the software yeah. that we had that we were using at the time to like track employee movements mm-hmm. and time and stuff like that, which is not illegal, but it's just gross, and I didn't want to do it. And so I was like, "That's one of the reasons why I'm here applying for for this job is because it's I'm just not comfortable doing something like that." That is like when you see somebody like working a dead end job, like staring at a monitor. The thing that would make that even more like depressing is if they're just looking at a screen monitoring their coworkers. Yeah. Yeah. You want thing to be like playing solitaire and be nothing. Just be like that miserable and just watching your coworkers. Yeah. Oh, I had a moment like that too, right before I left where I was also in charge of, I mean, not, well, I guess in charge. Yeah. But I had access to all the security cameras and all the security footage, you know, and we had a moment where, and this happened more than once and definitely more than you would expect for um, a place of employee for sanitation workers mm. who their entire job is taking care of sewer pipes. Mm-hmm. Someone purposefully stuffed a bunch of rags down the toilet in the men's room and flooded the whole uh, bathroom and leaked out into the hallway and so one of the engineers, one of the senior engineers came to me and was like, listen, you need to, I want uh, I want a detailed like history of everybody that walked in and out of the store for the past two days or whatever. So yeah, I was just sitting in front of the computer, like fast forwarding through security <laughs> camera Making footage and notes. being like, and it was also one of those things where it's like, the footage was so bad that you can't make out who it is, but then there's... Um, the bathroom is right next to a door that's locked by a key card. So you have to scan your key card to go back in. So then it was like, okay, so now I have to go into the key card software and figure out who swiped their key card at this time on this day. And da, da, da. yeah, it was, and that was still unsolved. Yeah. Right? Never. Yeah. Yeah. Never. Th- that was the thing because I don't think we ever found something that like lined up. So who knows? It's the ghost. Yeah. Of public utilities. <laughs> well, that kind of ties into true crime. Yeah, sure. You know what I hate? Mm. I absolutely hate transition jokes. Sure. Yeah. Calling attention to it, that's so... Well, it ruins the transition. Well, and, and only that, but it's like, it is so played. Like, I haven't heard it done in any way that didn't kind of in in rate not enrage me but you know <laughs> right. it's not like I turn into the Hulk. yeah but uh when i hear people go like oh i'm a prophet you know yeah ugh, I, I hate that and the other one that's super played out is like put that on the box put that on the poster yeah mm-hmm. 
That's your review or whatever. That's a big yeah. video game one. Both of them are big. Yeah. Big game ones. Yeah. Uh, okay, so true crime in general, specifically, I was thinking about this too. I feel like we have to have talked about true crime before on the podcast. Probably, but you know what else I've realized? I regret probably 80% of what I've said before <laughs> <today>. Okay, <laughs> sure. Yeah, it's always changing. That's true. It's time It's time to, to re-up yeah. and refresh. Okay. okay, so true crime generally, broadly speaking, but uh, it, specifically we're going to be talking about Mind Over Murder, mm-hmm. the HBO uh, documentary that's made by Vox, right? They they help produce it, but it's directed okay. by um, a lady who's made some. I, I watched one of the One Child Nation documentary, mm-hmm. and then she's made some other documentaries. She's pretty well well respected and doesn't necessarily only play in the genre of true crime. Uh-huh. I think this is maybe her for what the hell do I? I don't know what yeah. I'm talking about, but I think this is. <laughs> I get the sense that this is one of her first straight ahead forward, like true crime. Yeah. Yeah. She's definitely not just a true crime person because the, the direction of the series is so much better than what a true crime maker would do. That's kind of what I want that. So I'll be honest. I watched the third episode today. Yeah. Work has been busy and I just didn't really have a chance to do some of the things that, in thinking about the series, I was like, I would have loved to look at her filmography because there's there's a texture difference. You know what I mean? The, mm-hmm. the true crime, you know, kind of dateline or whatever else you want to say, like the, like the true crime factory stuff has a completely different feel to when you're watching like a documentarian yeah. who has maybe broader interests than just true crime when they get a hold of it. And this documentary definitely has that, there's that distinct texture feel difference. When I started watching, I was like, okay, yeah, this is, this does not feel like quote unquote, what you would might think in true crime. Yeah. And I, I think it ties back into, um, in cold blood, which I think is like regarded as like kind of the birth of modern day true crime stuff. Right. Yes. And I, we we talked about because you were reading the book. Right. So I was listening to it and the whole beginning of the book is just like, it's just like uh, Capote literally giving you a biography of every single of person family. in town, uh, the, the of the family, people in town and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found myself zoning out. So I was like, hey, I'm going to have to start over on this. But it's kind of, but that coupled with Mind Over Murder kind of, um, solidifies for me what I think is best about good true crime, which is that it kind of like, uh, it kind of like establishes the 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 city and the people that live in it and sort of the environment, you know, um, which this documentary does. And there was something else we watched that. You know, and it's so cliche, though, to say, like, it's the, the environment is its own character or whatever. But that's mm-hmm. basically what it is. Mm-hmm. They do a really good job of sort of giving everything a place. And there's something else we watched that I felt like did that really well, too, but I can't uh, I can't think about what it, what it is now. Yeah, so what would you just... Oh, oh the interesting thing, because I would love for you to watch Capote. 
the Philip Seymour Hoffman movie after Mm. you read the book. That film is actually, the whole idea behind it is in writing In Cold Blood, Truman Capote had to um, sacrifice his values and kind of his soul Mm -hmm. and in order to get the story that he got and in writing it kind of suffered this irrevocable betrayal of, you know, of his journalistic endeavors and then never wrote another book again. Mm -hmm. Like that, he wrote In Cold Blood, created a whole genre. Oh, really? And that was it? And that was it. And he has a really interesting career because then he goes on to write screenplays for like Breakfast at Tiffany's, Angus Truman Capote, and then he writes uh, the screenplay for a horror movie called The Innocence, which is amazing. Mm. Um, but yeah, that so it's really interesting because In Cold Blood really is kind of like, hey, this is how you do it. This is really good. And then if the story of the movie is to be believed, it's still kind of made Truman Capote feel really disgusting and dirty for, right. for writing it and for what he had to do to get close to the killers because that's kind of what the book shifts into Yeah, is the murder and then the killers. And uh, he got really close to one of the killers in, in writing the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess that is kind of the issue with, with true crime in general or the issue I run. Well, I guess the big issue I run into is I, I just get like depressed after a while you know what i mean especially having two daughters because so much of true crime is just like young women getting killed or some i mean and maybe this is just what sticks with me but you know some you know just young incel or loser or whatever just becoming obsessed Mm mm-hmm uh, and eventually it just becomes too much for me. I'm just like, all right, I need a, I need to like cleanse. I need a break from this. I, I just, <laughs> it just is so gross. And then I also feel like I, it can't, there's no way it can't make you more like just paranoid as a person. You know what I mean? And like, I just don't see how you can watch all of this all the time and not be like constantly checking your doors or checking the windows. You know what I mean? So that's one thing that bothers me. Yeah, I there's a few jokes that I regret with friends, but one of them was I I really I don't know what we were doing, but anyway, I talked about that story of a guy who's living in someone's attic. Yeah. <laughs> and I and I remember you like asking you like that really creeps me out. Stop. And I was like what just in the night really <laughs> laid into it and somehow i think i i maybe like told me like a few days later like that really messed me up for like two days <laughs> like and i remember feeling really bad about it yeah like you really do get like affected by that stuff right yeah yeah, yeah i mean yeah i think i think you just can't help it eventually it just drives you crazy i mean and, and that is like the most superficial of issues with true crime right is like what effect it has on me i think the bigger issue obviously um is like morally and ethically and i guess what capote was running into of like working with these people but then also like on some level you're exploiting this really terrible situation right um 
And I mean, obviously, there's like a way to do that, I guess, and be like completely informative or just like trying to tell the story or whatever. But do you feel like mind over murder is anywhere in like, where do you think it falls on that spectrum for you? Does it feel exploitive at all or does it feel like it's just to me the one of the funniest parts was in this last episode where the community theater people mm. are all doing a read through of the transcripts right and then one of the guys just needs to be like let me look around <laughs> yeah you know he butt fucked her right and other actors are like, do we have to yeah. say that? And they're like, well, it's in the transcript. And then the director of the play, I think, she said something really funny. She's like, can we just change every, you know, F word to just say F? F yeah, F. Can't we just say effing maybe? Effing? It's like, wait, you're the director, lady. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I was expecting for the director to come through and be like, listen, this is what we're accomplishing, clearly. Yeah. And they f- stick with the actors on a little bit of a round table as they process and try and deal with it. And none of them settle on a good reason why they're doing this. Yeah. You know, and they're just like, one lady starts off really strong to be like, listen, this is in the record. And I think it might be helpful for them to heal and deal <laughs> with and process the. But I feel like at the end it got to like the what, not the truth of it, because right. they didn't do it. Yeah. So all their testimony isn't real. Yeah. So then what are you guys doing? What's what's the purpose of the play that you're gonna put on? Right. And that really seems hard for them to articulate in the room and it kind of ends with i think the director of the documentary or another lady who's just like i think we're working on the script we're getting there we're getting closer let's just keep going let's keep working on it Mm -hmm. and so i feel like that to me at this point i guess is the right answer where it's like there's no one right or wrong way to do any of this and you can make arguments that both like expose the approach of true crime and also validate it. Like I don't want to live in a world where the realities of true crime are ignored. Yeah. Where it's just like, no, nothing bad ever happens. No, the, yeah. no one ever gets brutally murdered and raped in their apartment. At the same right. time, I don't want to be part of a industry of a factory industry mm-hmm. machine whatever that just outputs that is the is the output and i'm just eating it up all day long so you know to me it really probably relies more on the artistry and the approach to the material and then largely it's like it's not on me to feel bad about this stuff like i as the person who is getting advertised this documentary I'll watch it. Mm-hmm. If the documentarian did something unethical, they have to live with themselves. Yeah. Not me. You know what I mean? So it's like I can debate the the um, ethics of the jinx right. and be like, Ugh, yeah, that guy's really a creep, you know? Yeah. And probably did some unethical things. Do I feel like I bury or, or, or bear the weight of 
his decision. No, that's on him. Yeah. You know, as the filmmaker. Yeah. Um, it's funny you mentioned the jinx because I've uh, been going through um, Clay Tatum and Whitmer Thomas. I've been going through their old YouTube channel mm-hmm. for power violence. And they have like a little skit where Clay is the sound guy on the jinx. And he like uh, Durst goes into the bathroom. Right. And so Clay sits down. He's got his headphones on. And then uh, Robert Durst starts mumbling to himself about how he killed everybody and blah, blah. And Clay's like freaking out. And then a couple of beats go, go by and two other people show up and they just start arguing over like a sandwich and who's going to get the sandwich and they just leave and go get sandwiches. But it's kind of like the point, the point stance. And I think, I don't know if we talked about the jinx on here. It might've been before we started doing the podcast, but we always had an issue and it always struck me as weird as like that, that moment is saved till the very end of the documentary. Right. Mm -hmm. And then, and then, like, the, a couple days before the show even aired was when, like, that was actually entered into evidence or whatever, and the FBI acted on it. So it's like, these, wait a minute, so these people Coordinated? recorded this, had this conversation in this recording for, for months, if not years, since they started making this, and they've just been sitting on it and, like, holding on to it for, like, a a great big dramatic moment for the finale of their documentary. You know what I mean? So that is a is, like, weird and grimy um and there's a little bit of that in mind over murder i I think also a thing that i always run into with true crime stuff is what was the other there was another hbo true crime show about a kid whose mom got murdered yeah you you recommended that to me and i watched it I ended up liking it, and he's yeah. making a follow-up. Yeah, and it's really good, but it, it suffers from the same thing, and maybe it's just an is an impatience thing, but there seems to always be an element to these true crime shows where it's like, well, why didn't you just tell me, like, we're four episodes in, why didn't you, why are you telling me this? Why did you spend four mm-hmm. episodes showing me something that's not true mm-hmm. and that everybody knows is not true, you know? So that seems weird to me when it is a reality-based story. story. You know, mm-hmm. if I'm watching a movie, a narrative movie, it makes sense. And I guess it also makes sense for true crime because you are, you know, watching a story. Uh, you're being told a story. Uh, but I don't know. if There's something about it being real that kind of makes me feel weird. Does the timing of anything, does the timing of the event matter to you? Like the jinx was really problematic because it was ongoing. Like you said, the FBI mm. operated on that evidence yeah. like, in conjunction with their show. Yeah. But do you distinguish between like murders done in the 1800s or 1700s or early 1900s versus you know, here's a 2012 murder. Does that matter at all to you? Do you yeah, think? I guess it probably doesn't. I mean, it, it. I think it does in the sense of like anything that I could relate to, uh, like time wise. Like, like once you're getting into like maybe like the 40s or 30s or 20s, I'm not gonna care. But 
if you're in like the 50s or 60s, something I can somewhat relate to probably would make me feel a little weird. Like this still makes me feel weird. Some of it too is probably because the family is being interviewed in the show as well. So mm-hmm. it's not just like, you know, you're, you are seeing a lot of the ramifications on the, the family who are still having to kind of re-experience everything. Mm-hmm. Um, which to that point, I've always found it weird with these families that I, I get it on one hand, but on the other hand, it feels like you always get these families who it's in these wrongful conviction cases who are just so adamant about the person being guilty, even when they're found to like not be linked to it at all. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And I get it from, I think at one point the um, grandson says something like, you know, we're having to, we're, it's just reopening all these old wounds, which I totally get. And I don't think anybody in the documentary so far has said that. Like, these people need to stay in jail. We know they did it. I don't care what the DNA says, blah, blah, blah. But that is kind of a common trope in a lot of the true crime stuff. <laughs> That's never made sense to me. You know, it's kind of, I, I feel like I have the personality of being like, if a lawyer, whoever comes to me is like, Hey, look, this DNA evidence completely exonerates this guy that you thought did it. I would be like, Oh wow. Really? Oh my gosh. Okay. So let's figure out who did it and to get that guy out of jail. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought a lot about that with this last episode. But let me say three things because you said some some things I wanted to touch on. Number one, every I'm telling you, every single burp has been you. <laughs> Sorry. <Not me. laughs> I just want that stated. So so if yeah. anybody listening is like who That's me. I who, won't do it anymore. No, no, no. You do you, man. This is not nope. a judgment. It's just me trying to distance myself. Okay. Number two. On the fictional storytelling of a real event, the reason why, too, I I asked about the time is there's a book that I recommended to you because you're looking for something to read, Mm -hmm. and it's called The Suspicions of Mr. Witcher. Mm -hmm. And it's a true crime story, but like back in the 1800s, I think. I don't think it's 1700s, but it's at least 1800s. Mm -hmm. Told almost like completely narratively details filled in that may or may not be true probably but really really well researched by the author and reads like a great novel um but is also based on a true crime and in reading that that was one of the first experiences where i was like this feels good Mm-hmm. This amount of narrative on this story feels like, and I don't know if it's just a time period or just the way it was written, but you just feel like all these people are long dead. There's no one who has a feeling about my great aunt was not, you know, uh, a homebody. Mm-hmm. She was very outgoing. Like, it's like, no, you can look at the evidence and be like, oh, she seems very introverted. So I'm going to write that because that makes a better story mm-hmm. and still get those details in that are real so you have that impact of like yeah this isn't this feels made up but it's not like humans are crazy yeah um and then also be like wow this is a really well-told story and so that was the one thing where in this documentary they are putting on a play based on the real life you know testimonies right 
that, that are gathered. And I believe also the testimonies of the documentary, like not just the, court records. The documentary is being made? Yeah. That's what I thought. Like, Let me ask you, because this the, the play stuff really bothers me, but I don't know if it's for the... I don't know if I'm wrong about this. The the play is has been initiated by the people making the documentary, right? That has been my understanding. Okay. That the, bothers me. The, well, the thing that threw me is that the doc is that the director of the play clearly is not involved in the documentary. Right. Because she's the one who's like can we just change all the F? <laughs> right. So, you know, to me, I'm like, I, yeah, I don't know if maybe the documentarians came in. So I'm, I may be wrong on that. And I do think the, the play is the thing that I'm most interested to see how it connects and resolves. Mm-hmm. This is not the first time that someone has used a documentary or a movie to weave in like actors reading the lines of real people. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been a few movies that have portrayed real events that use actors who are literally like mouthing words said by real people. Yeah. And playing with that artifice, that idea of, you know, what's documentary, what's real, what's acted. Yeah. And so I think they're going for something like that. And maybe maybe they'll pull it off. But it definitely is a question of, how do you balance what's a good story with what's actually happened? Some of these documentaries that we watch feel like thin stories stretched out to fill totally time and whatever. And the details are told in a way where you're trying to like twist it into a more interesting story. So far, I still don't, I still don't know the real story of this. Right. I, I've resisted reading about it, but it's been hard because I still don't fully understand. There's, I, I understand they didn't do it. I still don't know why they confessed. You know what I mean? Why so many of them confessed. Yeah. So, it wasn't like one person that brought them down. It was six people were arrested. Five of them confessed to doing it. <laughs> so on the one hand, this has been one of the most... It hasn't been frustrating, but one of the most like slow reveal documentaries that I've experienced, but also it's been done in a way that to me, I can see why they did it. Yeah. It doesn't feel stretched out. It feels like they do have something more to say and it's, it's coming. Yeah. So stick with it. Um, Cause right now they're just kind of retelling the story pretty straightforwardly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so far I think it's walking that line well, but I do feel like that play aspect is something that I, I'm very interested to see yeah. how it's integrated. See, I hate the I hate the play thing. It, especially that that it, it's the bad acting in it. No, that it's that it is uh, that it's been instigated by the people making the documentary. Like I, I would have zero issues with the play aspect of the story. If it was, we decided to make a documentary on this event, and when we showed up to the town, this local theater group was starting the process of putting on a a production about it, right? And so we're also documenting that alongside um, exploring the story. See, uh, 
I'm going to do more. I meant to go back and rewatch the first episode because I watched the latest episode today too, and I meant to go back and rewatch the first. But after, but when I, I when I watched the first episode, I came away from it thinking that the people who made the documentary are also the people who brought who who started the play and is hiring everyone and putting on the play itself right. for the this, town. This says director Nanfu Wang looks at a murder in the 80s Nebraska and a play aimed at helping a town confront those wounds. So they, that just that wording yeah. makes it sound like um that the the community was doing the play and she was kind of capturing the yeah. documentary and the play together. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just starting the play, it's it just is. It just seems like you're putting your hand on the scale a little bit too much for me. And and I, and back to that point, like I I totally I I get the humor in the scene right when they're doing the line reads of the detectives yelling at the um, at the people totally see the humor in it but be because this is a thing that has been artificially created by the documentary by the documentarians it it just bothers me it feels too on the nose and and on top of that it it also for me goes back to i couldn't imagine being a family member of this woman and watching this documentary and then seeing this scene that is very clearly being played at least partially for laughs. You know what I mean? Meanwhile, what they're laughing and joking about or making a joke of is my grandmother being raped and <laughs> murdered. You know what I mean? Like, I just can't help but watch that and and immediately think about a family member watching it and just being like, man, that's this has got to be really tough. Yeah. I Not that it, the rest of it would be great to watch, you know, yeah. anyways. Like maybe I've just gotten more heartless as I've gotten <laughs> Yeah, like, that just bothers me a little bit. Uh, one thing I wanted to get to real quick, true crime adjacent. Um. And I think this probably plays a little bit into like storytelling and, you know, what we're being told and how we're being told and blah, blah, blah. I was reading something. There was a post on Reddit this week about it was I can't remember what subreddit it was on, but it made it to the front page. And it was uh, uh, it was the photo of Christopher McCandless holding, mm-hmm. taking a picture of himself, holding his goodbye note mm-hmm. before he starves to death. And those posts are always so interesting because the comments are always <laughs> split in between like, no, you don't really understand what this guy was going through, what he was trying to do. He didn't, he didn't, he actually knew what he's doing. And people who were, were just so angry at this guy and, you know, think he was a complete idiot, blah, blah, blah. So I went into the comments and um, somebody had it linked to this story where, the his sister wrote her own book and apparently so we're talking about into the wild right i don't know if i said that yeah um but apparently their father was a severe severe physical abuser Mm. um really beat up on the kids a lot Mm. but 
the daughter asked Krakauer not to put it in the story because she wanted to, she had hope that maybe um, the dad would like change his ways or like, you know, uh, re- repent or whatever. That's <laughs> not the right word, but you know what I mean? Like, right. Come, come back around. Or, yeah. With, yeah. Um, and so he just kept it out of the story. And apparently his, like constantly alluding to the dad being overbearing mm-hmm. is supposed to be his like sort of wink to like this guy was physically abusing them. But that is something that I think is really interesting because it does kind of like, I totally get him keeping out of the story and I probably would have done the same thing. I know I would have done the same thing. Um, but at the same time that to me adds like a pretty big chunk of explanation as to why McCandless was so sort of like didn't care about his seemingly didn't care about his life at all and was so eager to kind of leave it all behind and not only that I do remember aspects of the either the book or the movie um I I came away from probably the book thinking like like feeling bad for the parents Mm -hmm. because it kind of makes it seem like he just cuts communication with everybody and leaves you know, but with the knowledge that he was being hit all the time, that like it makes sense. You know what I mean? Yeah, and and why he would feel the need to go on a journey like he did, you know, right? A kind of like death to the old self, right? And a rebirth into the new. I always loved his story, and I didn't hear that. Hearing that deepens that, you know, kind of. It resonates more with me. Yeah. Um, in in what Christopher McCandless did. Um, yeah. And to me, everyone who thinks it would have gone different for them, <laughs> I just want to be like you. The the ways that they would die, the way that all the ways that all of us could die. Yeah. You know what I mean? Trip over that crack in the sidewalk that you that you missed, and then you. Right. Bust your head on the side of a tree yeah. or whatever. You know what I mean? Like you're out walking, you put a foot wrong, you tumble down a mountain and you die. Like yeah. you're taking a selfie and you back up too far. I mean, all these things are ridiculous and also perfectly possible happenings mm-hmm. for anybody. So relax yeah. if you're going after Christopher. McKinney. Well, none of that. He's the only one that died. You know what I mean? It's like I understand like being frustrated with it, but. It's not like he dragged a bunch of people in to rescue him and they all died too. Yeah, and it you know wasn't I mean? even it was just like, him. And and to me, like he wasn't even like he, he doesn't fall into any of the camps of like he he didn't seem to be like an overbearing like, like it, these people get bad raps and they don't deserve it, but my brain is tired after a long week. But he didn't seem to be like one of those overbearing like vegan types, right? Mm-hmm. Where he's like everywhere he went, he's like, uh, excuse me, are right. you using a gas guzzling view? Like yeah. you know, he just seemed like a really nice, like guy who's trying to find himself and trying to now seemingly bury some trauma, right? And mm-hmm. and go out there and do some stuff on his own. So yeah. You know, he seems like, yeah, he doesn't fall into any of the camps of like, oh, well, he was annoying or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know what his social media presence would have been like today. <laughs> Leading to Alaska, maybe it'd be a little cringy. Right. <laughs> but he seemed, he seemed to be just 
yeah, he seems to be at a place that even at 40 years old, I'm, I'm not quite there yet. You yeah. know what I mean? And, and wish, wish I was. So, um, the other thing I wanted to say that you're talking about the, the, the true crime and, you know, mind over murder specifically, um, was the family. Uh-huh. And that's something that I thought a lot about with this. Um, because I, I'm like you, if I, I, I don't know any belief, even growing up in a Christian household and stuff, I was always of the mind that's, it's like, as soon as I really looked into evolution and realized the scientific viability of evolution, I was very quick to be like, oh yeah, no, that, that creation myth is exact. It's a myth. Right. Exactly. And not like, why would I fight it? What am I fighting? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like what's the value of it? And, and so with this, I was waiting for the family to be the ones who are like, yeah. Now they haven't yet in in episode three. Mm -hmm. They, they just are the ones who are saying like, as soon as they started relooking into it, just opened all these old wounds. Yeah. And I'm like, on the one hand, would would you be involved in a documentary like that if you experienced a, a death and somebody came came by and they were like, "We're going to do a documentary about this"? Would you be involved? Would you say yes? Uh, yeah, I guess it depends. Like, if this project came to me, yes, I would. Right, like if. And obviously, you don't know what it's going to be when they're approaching you, I guess. So there's an element of research. That's the thing. But it's like if it was like, hey, I'm a producer from ABC and we're doing a 2020 on this, I would be like, a dateline yeah, on no, 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 thank you, you know. But the, but what you said is is the is the point that I was getting at, right? You don't know what what the angle is. Yeah. So from the staircase. Yeah. And. The Staircase TV show, which is now under controversy because of the way they portrayed the document, uh, the, the, the documentarians mm-hmm. of the Staircase and kind of bringing in their editorial hand in crafting their story in a way where, where they're not happy. They're trying to say, like, we followed high journalistic standards and how we portrayed that. Whereas the show wants to kind of show, oh, it was a little, maybe a little more complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all of that controversy goes to the intent of the filmmakers and why wouldn't any filmmaker want to follow the story mm-hmm. so it's like inevitably i feel like unless why like if if it was a death that was in my family and somebody was convicted of it i would go in assuming this document this documentary is going to try and portray the killer in a more complicated light. Right. That th- Why would they make a documentary where they're like, yeah, they got this bad guy. Look how bad he is. Yeah. So, you know, to me, I'm, I'm always like, whenever you hear people are like, yeah, I'm just so disappointed in the final project. I'm kind of like, what would you expect? Yeah. Right? Like, of course they're going to try to approach it from a different perspective than just... Hundred percent, he got it. There's no story there. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so the involvement you read to about me that on Wikipedia. Yeah, exactly. So so the involvement to me would would have to 
hinge on like, well, if I'm not in there, then no one's vocalizing for my family member. Sure. To, to portray yeah. them as a real person. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to do that. But also, it'll be interesting to see how they portray the family in the fourth episode when I'm guessing that missing piece that I don't have yet. Right. Because the story doesn't seem to be, oh, DNA evidence, they're gone. When that clicks in, how the family reacts to that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's something else that's inherent in all of these approaches, which is unless it is Dateline or 2020, which is sometimes just like, look how awful this person is, the end. Yeah. Like, yeah, it, it's it's going to implicate the family in some way as the people who were probably in any situation, the ones like, oh, you think you got him? Kill him. Like, yeah, string mm-hmm. him up. Get him in jail for life. Get him out of here. Only to then be told like, oh, that wasn't him. You know what I mean? So I'm always sympathetic to family members like that, but I, like you, would be like, yeah, if you told me that DNA exonerated them, I'd be like, okay, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, and one thing that I do really like about the show is that I, f- I feel like um, the director, I feel like she's done a really great job of exploring, like, h- how this would affect you on like a practical level Mm -hmm. as a family member, Mm -hmm. right? Like the idea of like just how heinous of a crime it is. And it's not just a, she was killed and now let's, you know, move on from it. Like they spend time talking to the family members and the family, family members explaining like, yeah, these are like images you don't get out of your head. You know what I mean? You think about this constantly and Eventually it goes away a little bit and then it all starts coming back again when now this DNA evidence is found and blah, blah, blah. So I do really appreciate that a lot. And I, and I think that level of detail goes for everything. Like, like I think like I, well, the first thing I said is it just looks great. And you can tell just by the shots and the framing and how stuff is being set up that it's made by like a legit filmmaker, right? It's not just a gaggle of ABC producers rolling in to get a couple of talking heads. You know what I mean? Um, the guy in the red polo shirt with a navy blue cardigan. Do you know who I'm talking about? He's Maybe. bald. Uh-huh. Does he not look like... He looks like a disembodied head. That's just been placed on a fake body. He's sitting on a couch at an angle. Yeah. <laughs> I, I could see that. But. I cannot get past it. <laughs> You'll notice it the next on the in the fourth episode. It's so strange looking. Mm. <clears throat> uh, the other thing, I, I, again, to the point we've been talking about, we're three episodes in. There's only three episodes left, right? There's six episodes total. I know, yeah. I think I think so. I think we're halfway through. Still really have no idea what happened. So you haven't read either? No. Okay. Uh, I haven't looked into anything. And the last episode ends with maybe there was a seventh person, a seventh. right? So it's Which, like. So really quick, I'm just thinking, again, the police work. So yeah. one thing. One, obviously, the thing that throws this all up in the air are the testimonials. Mm-hmm. 
That is the big question mark. But what you always hear, and this is something else that goes back to a negative of true crime, is that it creates armchair detectives. Yeah. And you always hear these detectives who are like, they don't know what they're looking for. They don't know about, you know, evidence and how to use that evidence to leverage false confessions, you know, to distinguish false from real confessions and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And detectives are very quick to, to tell you how uneducated and ill-prepared armchair detectives are. Right. I mean, this won't hold up in court. Blah, won't blah, hold blah, up blah, in court, yeah. all this stuff. Completely agree. I get your point. At the same time, if I'm looking at this case, this old woman lived in an apartment, basically. Mm-hmm. And she had two neighbors. One of the neighbors got implicated. Mm-hmm. Her upstairs neighbor. Her upstairs neighbor. Mm-hmm. But that means that she has neighbors like up to the sides as well. Yeah. And they just mention in the first episode that they interviewed the neighbors who didn't hear anything. Mm-hmm. They claim to not have heard anything. As soon as they testify that, <laughs> and I look at my suspect pool, and my suspect yeah. pool is six people yeah. in a room, and people on, on either side and every side is saying, yeah, we didn't hear anything. Right. I'm immediately going to be like, I don't think we have the right situation yeah. here. Yeah. I mean, we have six people involved in a brutal attack and murder, and wasn't it also um, the the person who perpetrated it made coffee? Uh huh. So you you have a long period. Well, there yeah, there were six cups in the sink or whatever. Six cups, but there's also coffee. coffee yeah, right. there's fresh coffee. And to me, I'm like, well, I don't know that you have to go to detective school to be like, okay, either all these six people were not there mm-hmm. because how do you not create enough noise that neighbors hear. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, number two, um, these these confessions. So what I was going to say is if, if I had to guess on the missing piece, I would say so far this documentary to me has revealed the disdain that people have for poor people. Yeah. And... How many times the the people in these six have been referred to by lawyers and police as uneducated right, and not bright and not smart? And people you just wouldn't want to have around. And to me, I'm like, I, I wonder if that's the, the missing point. It's just like the, the quote-unquote educated people, right, are in their own ways stupid Mm -hmm. and that kind of dismissal of the poor as uneducated as you know not socially acceptable you know also is the reason why you would believe these confessions or push for these confessions because they're poor uneducated and we can trick them Mm -hmm. you know what i mean and so were they tricked in some way by like you know, educated people who are just like pushing these uneducated people around, right? Mm. Bullying them, so to speak. But um, 
but the the involvement of that detective is the other thing that throws me. Right. Well, it's very much to me, obviously leading up to like a forced confession thing. And so a lot of this last episode, a lot of time is spent with the detective. Is his name Beatty? Something like that. But uh, a lot of time is spent on him and sort of going through his trajectory. And so Which just a bizarre, right? Starts as a right. cop, leaves, comes back for this one case, leaves, opens a convenience store. Right. Yeah. Realtor, flower. Realtor, like, now he sells flowers. But there is a very telling line where he says something like, um, people want to say I'm a bad cop or something. He alludes to like people thinking he might be a bad cop and he says something, a dirty cop, and he says something like, I was, I never, I'm not, and I never was, or something like that. So it seems pretty, I mean, and at this, and you can't, you just can't on a practical level, you can't have six people in jail for decades and then be exonerated and not have a detective who did something very, very wrong. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah, something's obviously up with that guy. The the one thing I want to say, too, that I found funny is, and he does this a lot in his old interview footage, mm-hmm. and I see a lot in my job, too, where somebody sees a situation as being, like, ultra professional and proper, Mm-hmm. And so they try and like change themselves to match this like projection of professionalism or whatever. If you listen to the way that he asks questions, it's almost unintelligible. <laughs> <laughs> like he's like, would you say, do you know for right. a fact that the man who was there on that day with you that you've declared is also the man who declared to you that he would go in? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> dude, you are like, I can, you're trying to like yeah. word this thing and you're just getting like lost. Yeah. Hmm. So yeah. Um, I like it. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's yeah. Been, it's been good. No, it's, it, it's good. It definitely has a different feel than some of the true crime. Yeah. There's even, um, going back there and maybe, maybe this will come out after the series is wrapped, whatever you read more about it, you've, 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 the more you find out about it. But do you remember finishing, um, wild, wild country? Mm -hmm. Right. And then it, and then I started getting like weird vibes that like, cause that's done by the Duplass brothers, Mm -hmm. right? That like the Duplass brothers, brothers may have been like disciples of the Maharishi or whatever you start to get the feeling of like they it's a great show and a great documentary and it it gives you all of this really good information but then with hindsight you kind of get the feeling that like despite all this heinous stuff that these people did, you still get kind of a rosy picture of them and like what they were trying to They're do. They're kind of misunderstood. Right. Yeah, they really so just wanted like, to help. Oh, this seems a little, uh, little questionable. The, the thing that I also wanted to mention really quick is in watching this and thinking about other true crime, it made me think of, you know, 
there's the first season of Serial. Yeah. And it made me think of, do you remember Making a Murderer? Uh-huh. Steve Avery? Mm-hmm. Those two, I think, are great examples of the unintended effects of these investigations and documentaries and programs mm-hmm. where I was super into serial season one. Yeah. I mean, everybody was. Everybody, yeah. like, really into it. Wanted to know what was going on, whatever. Haven't thought about it in, you know, 10 years uh-huh. plus. <laughs> I can't really remember his name. Don't know where he is now. Uh-huh. Probably still in jail, I'm guessing. Yeah, he is. And Steve Avery, I remember watching Making a Murderer and being like, wow, this is kind of fascinating. I couldn't tell you one detail about it. Yeah. I know nothing. He owned a junkyard and then right. his nephew, he fra- his nephew is just, again, like, what what seems to happen in this, right? He was just kind of poor and uneducated. Right. And then his uncle kind of pushed him around to confess mm-hmm. or something. I don't fully know. But I don't know where... I don't even know who's in jail because of that. Yeah. And that is that feels weird. Like, that, that for feels sure. weird yeah. for me to, like, oh, I'm very investi- invested in this story and these people and what happened to them, and I can even feel strong things for them. And then, like, yeah, my life goes on, and it's like, wait, who? Wait, what was it? Was it did I watch that? Like, yeah. that feels like a weird thing. Like, there's some fiction stuff where you're like, did I watch this before? And you watch it, like, oh, I did. But with true crime stuff, that... It has that other aspect. <laughs> right. That went, oh yeah, it's that guy right. who's still in jail. Oh, I remember yeah. him. Yeah, 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 for that sure. Poor, that poor sucker. Yeah, and serial was definitely like um I think my takeaway from serial serial was basically like I I'm pretty sure that Adnan did it, but I don't think that he was like treated fairly. And I I, and if the bar is beyond a reasonable doubt, I wouldn't say, there. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't say he did it beyond a reasonable doubt. I agree with that. And then the thing that, that happened for me with making a murderer is like that, I think Serial does a pretty good job of being even-handed. Uh, I think looking back, and again, once this show's over and you have some time to process the whole thing, and especially looking back, you definitely start to see like how over their heads they were and like out of their element. <laughs> no idea what they were doing. Well, especially with what they've done since. Yeah. Which, which clearly feels a, a lot of like, yeah, we're not doing that anymore. Yeah, but I do still kind of get the sense that they were trying to do their best mm-hmm. and like tell the most even-handed story. With Making a Murderer, I remember coming finishing that and being like man this is so i I don't understand how this guy could be in jail uh with all of this uh with the way that they're telling the story and then you start to hear after it's over like yeah well it's because they left out so much stuff out of the show and they really misrepresented a bunch of stuff and it kind of makes sense that he's in jail (laughs) you know (laughs) so it's like okay so this has also brought up my idea for a show okay i want to know if you'd watch this all right a show exploring false confessions. There is a show about that, and I've watched it. Really? Yeah, I can't remember what it's called. Let me try and look. But what's your uh, 
what's your pitch? So my, my pitch is false confessions run the gamut, right? Yeah. They run the gamut from, and I'd be interested in every single one of these aspects. Number one, the dismissed confession. Mm-hmm. What would make a detective dismiss a false confession? You know, and yeah. looking at the obvious examples. Oh, this person has, they, they've confessed everything. Mm-hmm. So we, we dismiss it. Oh, this person completely misrepresented the crime. They were stabbed, not strangled. Mm-hmm. So starting with the low level, and, and again, picking some, to that they're just going to build that broad foundation of, oh, these are common. And then the next level would be the false confessions that actually got people investigated deeper. Mm. So, but, but not convicted, you know, why did they do that confession? What distinguished them from the easily dismissed, throw in the trash, who cares? Mm -hmm. And then the next level, which is the false confession that gets used, like in this one, which is truly false. And you're going to find a lot of coercion. But what I'm interested in this is what if this isn't directly coercion? Like, Mm -hmm. I'm very interested to see how they got the confessions for this. Right. Um, But even there, you can find, like, you know, people who are looking for reduced sentences. Yeah. You know, and exploring that, like... Did it work? Did they get their reduced sentence? Blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. It just feels like a really interesting way into the criminal justice system and to explore it on a deeper way rather than doing it from the here's the killer, we're going to glorify them, or here's a horrific event, we're going to mm-hmm. you know just show you that misery. It's like, no, let's look at the process that eliminated these people. You know? Yeah. Well, and the thing about false confessions, too, is, and I I don't know if this is, um, like, a confirmation bias. Is that what you would call it, Mm -hmm. I guess? But, like, you're not going to get a show about a detective who was like, this guy, uh, no, I could tell this guy was lying. I'm going to find the real killer, right? You get the shows about the detectives who, who... either forced the confession or just didn't care. And that, and to that point, it really seems like, and again, like I said, maybe it's confirmation bias. Cause that's all that we're going to see. That's all that's interesting enough to make into a documentary. But it really seems to me like the only thing a detective is interested in is getting a confession. And if right. he gets you to confess something, he's, he's going done. to believe it, right? Yeah. He's done his job. He's, it does not matter if it's true. It does, all of it matters is that he gets that confession from you and that they can prove it in a court of law. He, it doesn't really seem like they're interested in figuring out whether or not it's true. Uh, the show is called The Confession Tapes. The Confession Tapes is a true crime television documentary series that presents several cases of possible false confessions leading to murder convictions of the featured people. 
In each case, the documentary presents alternate views of how the crime could have taken place and features experts on false confessions, criminal law, miscarriages of justice, and psychology. The series produced... The series was the series produced and distributed by Netflix became available to all Netflix subscribers on September 8, 2017. Critics praised the series, likening it to other true crime Netflix true crime documentaries. So yeah, we watched that. I don't know if we watched the second season of it, but we watched the first season and it was good. Well, my version's better. <laughs> I would and do it and better. I distinctly remember coming away from this 2017. So. So right around that same time um, that all this stuff is blowing up. But I definitely remember coming away from this and being like, I'm just never going to believe anything a police officer ever says for the rest of my life. Exactly. <laughs> well, it, it makes you realize, like, when when lawyers say don't say anything. Right, exactly. You truly don't. Yeah, because you just don't talk at all. You, don't, you just don't talk at all. Even yeah. if, if a cop is like, I'm on your side. Just what happened? Yeah, you I'm don't try like, and help. You just don't mm-mm. do anything. No. Yeah. Um, the one thing that I will say is if that pitch did not land, if we were being kindly ushered out the door uh-huh. to up it, to up the ante and get this thing sold, I would say I will falsely confess <laughs> to murders right. and we can explore my uh-huh. Uh, experience with the justice system yeah. Okay, as we pick what crime I should falsely <laughs> to and right. follow it through, through podcast form. Yeah. All right. That's good. That, I think that's that's the next HBO series, right? Exactly. You like, get all these young kids who are like, hey, my uncle from 50 years ago was killed. And HBO is like, all right, just make an argument about it. We'll set you up. Right. <laughs> we'll give you a credit card with a $2,000 limit and, you know, see what you can do. Yeah. I, I'm just excited to like come on an episode of that podcast and being like justin the detective called me i'm going in tomorrow (laughs) (laughs) they're gonna interview me i don't know how they died i'm just gonna say they got strangled (laughs) all right and then the next episode is oh my god i got it exactly right i didn't even i'm in trouble (laughs) yeah (laughs) so yeah there's there's my my pitch off of off of this um, one other thing I wanted to say. What was it? I don't know. Oh, I know what I wanted to say. Okay. A listener sent an article. The article about video games? Yeah. Uh-huh. Did you look at it? Yeah. I wanted to, uh, first off, thank them for the article. Uh-huh. I read it, and I completely agree. And my example of that is I had somebody who was the most organized person I've ever met in my life. Right. Their organization style, though, took probably 15 to 20 hours a week. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. To manage. Uh Uh-huh. To set up the next week. Yeah. They had all these books, bent pages when they... Right. Um, it did when they completed highlighting different colors to whatever. Yeah. And at some point you say, listen, I'm not organized. But that weirdly is also not organized. Yeah, it's too much. That's obsession. Right. You know? So like you've just swung to the other side. Mm-hmm. So that's where I completely agree. And it is about finding value in what you do. 
whether that is like I go on walks or I don't go on walks. Mm-hmm. Person who goes on a walk might be getting more biological benefit from being mobile, but inherently that activity is not any better. Doesn't make them a better person, right? Mm-hmm. And I've used the example a lot of times where I watched this one person just sitting quietly and being like, I, I wish I had that stillness in my life. Like mm-hmm. that's not the way I am. I'm always putting content in my face and in my ears and I can't stop thinking about stuff and, and all that. And then when I sat down to have a real heart to heart with that person, they were just horrifically racist and, and <laughs> just not anyone I would want to be with. It's like, so yeah, as they're sitting, they're planning at this, their next the Tiki torch rally in <laughs> exactly. silence. How can I get my hat pointy? That's, that's what I want. The pointy is that. Right. Um, and, and you, you realize you're just like, you know what? Yeah. They, there's no inherent value for talking about you as a person. Mm-hmm. And that also goes to really quick. I feel like, can't get a episode without getting all political, mm-hmm. but I did want to throw a quick rant out there. Um, as things are ramping up, everyone is losing their cool. Mm-hmm. And I just think about that RM Brown drop of the person being like, uh-huh. mm-hmm. <laughs> like <laughs> laughing maniacally. Mm-hmm. And that does feel like the tenor of things right now, right? Yeah. Where it's like, Elliot Page can get grown men to just completely debase themselves. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, and and how ridiculous it is. But somebody was was jumping on. They did this whole rant, and their whole rant was basically like, "Hey, if you're threatening not to vote at the next election, election, let me tell you something. Sit down." Uh, and they were basically like. You want the world to burn because you know you're gonna throw a tantrum and blah 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 blah. And I was just like, the only tantrum being thrown here is you. Mm-hmm. You're using your political. It's it's not political action. It's like you've jumped on the workout machine and you're not using it correctly. You know what I mean? You're on the workout machine, like just moving your <laughs> arms, flailing wildly, and uh-huh. like stuff is moving, but you're actually not doing any benefit for yourself, and you're looking like a fool, and the machine isn't being utilized correctly. Mm-hmm. And you're saying like, you just want to think about how to use this machine correctly without just jumping in and getting involved and blah, 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 blah. And look at me, I'm involved. And it's like, no, you're throwing the tantrum, and you're using the space. Like, you're not even giving me an opportunity to jump into this space mm-hmm. and be like, can we evaluate the people who are voting for? Like, can that be a conversation? Right. No, because all that space is being used up by people who are just like, you need to vote for whoever's on the Democratic right. ticket v- if you vote care about. Blue no matter who. Yeah, if yeah. You, and, and that mentality is so bizarre to me. Like, I, I don't know how you can be involved in any political system and walk away from it being like centrism is is it that's the answer i've read the books i've thought the theories this is what i've concluded and i feel like that's what that article was kind of saying too right which is like yeah your your involvement in a space has no value you know what i mean yeah it's about what are you bringing to that space and where's that space giving to you if you walk into a space not ready to listen to anybody, just ready to talk, 
Sorry, like that AA meeting is not going to help you. It doesn't matter where you're at. Mm-hmm. It's not like, oh, I went, therefore I'm good. Like you went to therapy, but you didn't go ready to listen. You just went there to talk and then walk away and feel better. Yeah. You know what I mean? About yourself. So, you know, that evaluation, that deeper evaluation of activity and value and worth, you know, it is to me easier found in serving other people. I think that's that's an immutable truth. Mm-hmm. That if you're helping others, that's an easy way to see the value of your action. Versus if you are doing isolated work, it's harder to see the value. But that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, you should spend all your time helping other people because that has more value than you taking some time off or not going and volunteering your time at every opportunity. You know what I mean? So anyway. Well, it's interesting because it's kind of basically the opposite of the the political the uh, political stance, right? The political, the enlightened centrism uh, is like, is kind of what you want for your person. It's like moderation, right? The moderation is key. If you're going to be organized, the key is to be moderate about it, right? It's to be kind of in the middle. You don't want to be so completely organized that it takes over your life. And you don't want to be so unorganized that you can't get ready for work in the morning, right? Um, but when it comes to politics, right, like you said, like that's, it's meaningless. It doesn't do anything. Right. It's actually a negative. You're, you're, you're actually helping bring forward the future that you're terrified of. Yeah. And that's coming out more and more as like people in Biden's office are talking more openly and Kamala Harris gets in front of any microphone at all. (laughs) <laughs> you're like, I don't think she knows where she is. You yeah. know what I mean? Let alone what's happening. Right. Um, but it's like, no, that's that's the goal. Yeah, you get up there and then you just com- be, you be completely anonymous in your role as president or vice president. Yeah. And thank God we got adults in there. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Any plans for next week? Are we going to revisit Mind Over Murder until it's over? Or are we going to save that until it's totally over and then do all yeah you know i was thinking about this even driving over and and thinking about like the podcast and everything i was like you know what i like the fact that we've dropped stuff and never gotten back to it there's there's like shows that we've covered where Mm -hmm. we haven't seen it through right (laughs) that's kind of that's kind of the point you know Uh what i mean like we shouldn't be beholden to yeah seeing something through for not enjoying it yeah or just following a format because it's the format for this show, yeah, I kind of feel like it's good to do it in chunks. I would have had yeah. nothing to say in episode one. Yeah, no, I episode totally two, agree. I would yeah. have been still confused. Right. Episode three, I have a little more clarity, but I'm still, I don't know the story. So I do feel like I would like maybe next week to not just talk about Mind Over Murder unless it really speaks to us and come back to it maybe when it's all resolved. And instead, maybe do something that we haven't talked about in a while. I don't know. Okay. Just something completely different. Sure. All right. Well, we'll figure it out next week then. <coughs> bye bye, bye bye, bye bye. That one was cute. Bye bye, bye bye. Perfect. Bye bye.